Hello! Welcome to the Romance Me Podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. And we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. And the hello is, does your kitchen need a rooster? You can leave a comment on our site <laughs> and let us know. If you want. <laughs> if you feel so moved. Today, we'll be discussing Forbidden by Beverly Jenkins. Eddie is traveling to California with dreams of owning her own restaurant. On the way, she trusts the wrong person and is abandoned to die in the Nevada desert. Luckily, Eddie is rescued by Ryan, a local business owner who happens to be in the right place at the right time. Eddie and Ryan have an immediate yet forbidden attraction to each other. But now, Eddie is out of the frying pan and into the fire of social rules, which state that people of color can't marry white people. Ryan has a secret that will allow them to be together, but is he willing to give up the privileges he's been granted passing for white so that he can marry Eddie? There will be spoilers beyond this point. We have a lengthy content warning for racism, including segregation, some racist language, hate crimes, and mentions of racist violence, threat of sexual assault, and one of the main characters is a former slave. So what's Eddie's life like in Denver? Well, this story is set in the year 1870, which is five years after the United States Civil War. Eddie is a young, freeborn Black woman living in Denver. She dreams one day of opening her own restaurant. In order to do that, she's been working for years as a laundress and a cook to save up every single penny so that she can buy a train ticket to California and get a job out there and eventually save up enough money to open her own business. The story begins the day before she's going to take that journey. She's ready. Woohoo! She gave notice at her job. She gave notice at her apartment where she was living. She's walking down the street with all her money and her train ticket in her bag, and she's mugged. So someone steals her bag and runs off. I mean, banks weren't always a thing for everybody, but yes. Yeah, so carrying your worldly possessions happened more often way back when. I'm not really judging her for for not using a bank, obviously. It's just because, I mean, you're right. It wasn't necessarily accessible for her, but it just really sucks. Oh, yeah, totally. I want to point out how much it yeah, sucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, lots of suckage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine you had a payday and you cashed it all out and then you get mugged right after. Yeah. It would suck like a million times more than that. <laughs> yes. Because now she's got no home, no job, no money, <laughs> no train ticket. <laughs> No, nothing. <laughs> However, Eddie is a very determined and motivated woman. She is not going to give up her dream and she's going to do her best to get what she wants. And so she decides she's going to visit her sister, Corrine, and see if maybe her sister will lend her some money. This is a tricky situation because Corrine and Eddie are estranged. They have a rocky relationship. Their parents died in a blizzard when Eddie was 15. She helped raise her sister. 
And then her sister decided to turn to prostitution to make money. And that drove a wedge between them. I think Corrine thinks that Eddie judges her for her choices, but I don't know that she does necessarily. I think Eddie just wouldn't make those choices herself. If Eddie marries, she wants a love match because her parents loved each other. And that's the example that she wants to live by. She's not necessarily looking either is the thing. Like she doesn't care. She just, (laughs) (laughs) if she were to get married, it would be for love. That's all. Yes. When Eddie gets to her sister's house, she gets to see her two nieces who she really loves. And then Corrine shows up and is basically like, what do you want? Eddie asks for money. Corrine says, oh, well, bye. (laughs) Eddie's like, okay, well, that sucked. She decides to talk to a friend of her parents and see if maybe he'll give her some advice or some help or something. It works out for her at first. So her parents' friend hooks her up with another dude who's traveling to Fort Collins, which is in the right direction, even though not nearly all the way. She strikes up a friendship with this dude. He's really nice. When they get to Fort Collins, he finds her a place to stay for the night. He he even finds this couple that are traveling to Salt Lake City and they're hiring they're looking for someone to help them drive their mules. And this guy even is able to get Eddie that job. So she has a nice place to stay that night. She gets to travel with these other people now and make money while she's doing it, <laughs> which is good because she has zero money right now. Everything's going great. It takes about a month to get to Salt Lake City. And at this point, Eddie has enough money for another train ticket. Yay! Yeah, things are looking up. And she feels pretty lucky. I don't think she's used to relying on other people for help, but she decided to take a chance and it's been working out for her so far. Yeah. So she gets her new train ticket and it has a stop in Reno, Nevada. And once she makes it to Reno, she learns that the train to California is delayed for three days. And Eddie's like, well, crap. (laughs) Where am I going to (laughs) stay? What am I going to do? Like, she's trying to figure out her next step. Yes. So while she's sitting at the train station thinking, she's approached by a priest. He introduces himself as Father Nash. He tells her that he's escorting a young boy to an orphanage in Sacramento, and he's currently getting ready to leave. He suggests that Eddie travel with them instead of waiting for the train, and she'll get to California that much quicker. Eddie thinks to herself, well, I've been lucky so far. And I mean, this guy's a priest, so nothing bad's gonna happen, right? Hmm. One can hope. (laughs) Yeah, now, as they're traveling, Eddie notices that they're going in the wrong direction. When she asks Nash about it, he's like, yeah, well, how are you gonna pay me for this trip? Wait, what? Yeah, they're like two hours (laughs) distance by carriage (laughs) from the train station in the middle of... The Nevada desert. So a nice, cool place. And he's like, yeah. So what about some sexual favors? <laughs> I mean, he's not nearly that polite. No. But basically <laughs> that. And that's what Eddie says. She's like, fuck no. <laughs> How about no? <laughs> she will not. At that point, Nash pulls out a knife and he threatens to hurt her. 
And he says that she needs to give him all her money. Mm. And she does. So this is the second time she's lost literally all her money. It really sucks. Then he makes her get down out of the carriage. He hands her a canteen of water and says, if she's careful, she might make it back alive. (laughs) But if she's not going to fuck him, then she's (laughs) no use to him. But there's also the the racist element too, right? Because Nash is white. Totally. So he expects, I think, more from Eddie as a black woman than maybe he would from a white woman. Yeah. I don't think he'd pull those same shenanigans on a white woman, but who knows? Maybe in a different way. Yeah. Less as an expectation. At any rate, Nash drives off with the boy. Eddie's left wondering, is that actually a kid he's taking to an orphanage? Or what is the deal with that kid? We don't know. (laughs) it's his lure eddie to make him seem safe yeah that poor kid i know so fucked so now eddie is alone in the middle of the nevada desert in the middle of the afternoon with nothing but her cook stove and her bag with no money and a canteen with water in it i think it was particularly cruel of nash to give her one canteen of water He's full on expecting her to die. He just wants her to be tortured a bit first. Well, I left her a canteen. I mean. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, no, I'm sure she's fine. Eddie, however, is determined and tough. And she's like, I'm going to walk back, I guess. So she orients herself according to the sun and starts heading back in the direction of the train station. (laughs) Unfortunately... She doesn't do so well. The sun does a real number on her and she kind of loses track of time. She kind of is suffering from fatigue and intense sunburn and probably heat stroke and all sorts of wonderful things. Dehydration. Who knows? And she basically passes out just in the middle of the desert. Luckily for her, there's a couple guys riding horses nearby and they see her walking and then stumbling and falling over (laughs) and they're like well (laughs) we better go help that lady that's unusual (laughs) those two guys are ryan and his business partner jim ryan is our hero and he passes as white ever since the civil war ended he has been living as a white person He was born a slave in Georgia to a terrible man named Carson, I think, and his mother, Azalea, who eventually killed herself to prevent being forced to have more babies by this asshole who owned her. Um, Ryan has a half-brother, Andrew, who is white, who's... Carson's legitimate son. They're they're the same age. And when the boys turned about 10 or so, Ryan was forced to begin to live as a slave. And he was actually his brother's slave. His brother didn't treat him badly. I mean, it's nuanced because (laughs) of the time period and the household in which they were living 
and all that. But it's clear in the story that Andrew loved Ryan and wanted to help him the best he could and did not hurt him or do anything extreme with him. And I think hated that it was like that. When the Civil War began, they both fought in the Confederate Army at first. And then I think Andrew left. I think he (laughs) didn't he abandon the army. And then Ryan switched sides and fought for the Union. Later, they, they get reunited and Andrew had made a ton of money and gave Ryan like half of it. And then Ryan, ever since then, has been living as a white man in Virginia City, Nevada. And he is very wealthy, very prominent. He has political aspirations and he owns a saloon called the Union Saloon, along with his business partner, Jim, who is a black man. At any rate, (laughs) they see Eddie fall and they go get her. Ryan puts her in the wagon and tends to her, tries to cool her down while Jim continues to drive them back home to Virginia City, which is south of Reno. This whole time, Eddie is not really coherent. She tries to fight him, though, when he tries to pick her up. And then when he tries to open her blouse so that he can cool her down with some water, like on her chest and shoulders, she fights him over that too. And he ends up tearing her blouse. Ryan and Jim plan to drop her off with Sylvie, who owns a boarding house in town, but Sylvie's not there. So they take her back to the saloon with them and put her in Ryan's room. Because of course they do. (laughs) (laughs) This is a romance book. Yes. Who else's room will she go in? (laughs) The Union Saloon that Ryan owns is the only saloon in town that serves everyone, not just white people. But as a result, white people don't patronize the saloon. Jim goes off to try to find Sylvie and Ryan is still taking care of Eddie, trying to help cool her down. When Sylvie arrives, she helps change Eddie out of her clothes and put her in one of Ryan's shirts. And then Ryan helps her soak Eddie in a cool bath to try to lower her body temperature. Sylvie is also, in, in addition to owning the boarding house, she's also a nurse. And she's pretty badass. Yes. Anyway, while this is happening, Eddie still is kind of totally out of it. Like, she kind of has a moment where she thinks she's dreaming. And she looks up and she sees this gorgeous white green-eyed guy holding her and then she like passes out again she's not doing well after the bath she gets tucked back in bed and sylvie tells them that she has no place for eddie to stay at the boarding house right now until one of her other boarders moves out in a few days ryan says that's fine she can stay here he's happy about it he likes taking care of her it's weird okay so ryan Not only is he passing as a white guy, so he has no business being interested in a black woman during this time period anyways. Sadly, um, it would only do her damage, really. Um, (laughs) He's also engaged. Yeah. (laughs) Not only that, but Eddie is like fucking blistered up and dirty and exhausted and obviously fucked up right now and he's like "Ooh, i like that she's in my bed (laughs) it's like okay ryan you're weird 
Yeah. When Eddie wakes up, (laughs) she realizes she's in a strange bed wearing someone else's shirt. And when she looks around, she sees a white man sitting in the room watching her. (laughs) She starts to freak out and she wants to get up and run away, but she really doesn't have the strength to do that. Ryan introduces himself and gets her to introduce herself, even though she really doesn't want him to. She wants to do it on her own. He carries her to the bathroom so she can do her business. And then he carries her back to bed where she quickly falls asleep again. And when she wakes up again, she's a little bit more coherent. She kind of knows what's going on now. Oh, this guy helped me. (laughs) That's why I'm not dead in the desert. She tells Ryan about how she was robbed and left to die in the desert. Ryan tells her a little bit about him. He owns the saloon. She's like, oh my gosh, we're in a saloon. And he's all, no, it's a respectable saloon. (laughs) We don't have prostitutes or anything here. And she's like, oh yeah, sure. A respectable saloon. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. She's all, I can't stay here. This will ruin my reputation. She wants to be an upstanding citizen. She doesn't want anyone to look down on her. I don't know. Maybe she does judge Green. Maybe. But... Ryan comforts her a bit. He says, well, I made arrangements for you to stay at the boarding house, but it's going to be a few days. And Eddie's like, okay, okay, that's fine, I guess. I'll deal. She's also comforted by the fact that the boarding house owner is also a black woman. I'm saying black. Um, The author uses the term colored a lot in this book, and I think it's due to the time period in which it takes place. That's what I assumed. Eddie is colored. The owner of the boarding house is colored. It's kind of awkward to say. I don't really like saying it. I don't know. (laughs) That's why I'm saying black. I don't know if that's okay. Um, Sorry if it's not. Uh, I don't know what to say. And black people aren't the only people of color who live in Virginia City either. Apparently it's fairly diverse. They have um, a pretty large, what, like Chinese population. Uh Uh-huh. And some other people, I think they have some people from Mexico. So they they have a lot of people that aren't white. Wasn't there someone from India, too? I think so. There, there did seem to be a lot of diversity. You know, it wasn't just white people and black people. It was other people, too, which was nice. Yeah. I liked that <laughs> the other people were represented. Yes. Other ethnic backgrounds. Yay. Yes, but it but it is awkward for me to talk about, and so if I misstep, it is not with any bad intentions. Let me know, and I'll fix it for next time. <laughs> Let's see. Later, Ryan brings Eddie some food. He is super attracted to her, not only her looks, but also how brave she seems to be, how determined she is. He also likes her temper i think a bit because she gets kind of sassy with him she doesn't want him to carry her around and stuff and she's upset that she's too weak to walk right now and she keeps glaring at him and he likes her (laughs) glares uh he keeps reminding himself you know what dude you're already engaged and you're gonna be married later just this is not good just leave it alone let it go and eddie can tell that he's into her too <laughs> she can tell that he keeps checking her out and stuff. Makes me think he's not real subtle. She doesn't get a creepy vibe off of him, like with some white guys, I guess, who check her out, where it's definitely not good. 
She thinks Ryan is more honorable, probably. Oh, yay. But she also is of the mind that, you know, this obviously can't go anywhere. So any interest he has, we're just going to pretend <laughs> it's not there. <laughs> we're just going to let it go. We'll just ignore. <laughs> and I think she's attracted to him, too, even at the very beginning. But at this point in the story, she doesn't even admit that to herself. She doesn't let herself yeah. go there. She doesn't want to even think those thoughts. No, I think you're right. I mean, it makes sense, especially if, as far as she knows, a relationship between them would literally be illegal. She wouldn't want to entertain that. Why torture herself? Right. And if she gets married, she wants it to be for love. She doesn't want to be some white dude's mistress. And who knows what sort of security or safety that would even give her. A couple days pass. Eddie's been resting this whole time. She's starting to feel better. She's able to walk around a little bit. Ryan and Jim bring up some lunch for them all to eat together. She tells both of them about her plans to go to California. And she tells them about her past. Gives a little info dumpy life story thing. Over the course of the conversation, Ryan brings up going to see Natalie and Eddie has this passing thought like, hmm, I wonder who Natalie is. And I don't think it's even jealousy at this point, but I think she's just... Curious. Yeah, she's curious. She's attracted to him. She knows he's attracted to her. And this, I think, is like a little warning signal for her. Hmm. That's a sign that this is no good. (laughs) Even less good than I thought. Sylvie shows up and lets Eddie know that she has room at the boarding house now. So they make plans for Eddie to move there. Eddie might even get a job cooking for Sylvie because her cook left. And Ryan is thinking, you know, this is a good thing. It's good that she's leaving. The sooner she leaves, the better. And then I can get my head on straight and let this attraction die. Because mm-hmm. that's how it works, folks. Is that how it works? <laughs> I don't know. Distance, I don't think, negates chemistry. Especially when distance is, you're still in the same town. <laughs> Yeah, true. She's just a few minutes drive away or whatever. Yes. She's close. So now we spend some time with Ryan. That afternoon, Ryan takes two young orphan boys who happen to be twins, Christian and Micah, to get their hair cut. The orphanage in town is kind of a deal in this story. It's run by a former nun. I think... She was at an orphanage that only took care of white kids and she didn't like it. And she left her order and moved to Virginia City and opened her own orphanage and takes in all kids, regardless of their skin tone. So these two boys are black. It doesn't really matter, except that Ryan is really attached to them and he kind of would like to adopt them. But since he's passing as white, he really can't. Even if he could get his fiance to agree to adopt them, he just legally wouldn't be able to, probably. I think at one point he learned that the state would prefer, I think was the (laughs) word used in the book, to home children with parents of their own ethnic background. Yeah. But he really relates to these boys. They kind of remind him of his own childhood. Before things went to shit, when he could be a kid with his brother. 
they miss their dad and it makes him think about how he wished he had a dad because, I mean, his sperm donor was not a dad. He spends a lot of time with these kids and he, he spends a lot of time at the orphanage helping out. He's really motivated, I think, to help out the black community. He wants to leverage his privilege to make changes and to provide support and all those things. He even has a seat on the city council and works to prevent crappy racist laws and such. Laws or rules? I don't know. It's the Wild West, folks. I don't know. After he drops the boys back off at the orphanage, he goes back to the saloon, to his room, where Eddie is still staying, to get ready to take Natalie and her parents out to the opera house. And while he's getting his stuff to go change, he's not going to change in the same room. He just needs to get his stuff. He talks to Eddie. He admits to her that he really likes spending time with her. And then he also tells her that he's engaged to Natalie. Eddie is like, oh, that's nice. Congratulations. In her head, she's like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I have to run away. Run away. Far away. This is not good. (laughs) Dude, you cannot like spending time with me when you're engaged. No, no. Bad, bad. And not only that, but there's this whole social complication as well. The badness just keeps on piling up. I mean, call it a complication, but I mean, she could end up dead for it. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ryan is out with Natalie and her family. Her parents ask him about the woman he rescued. And Ryan tells a little bit of the story of the rescue. And then Natalie asks if Eddie is a whore. And she's kind of judgy about it. Of course, I mean, really, how can you ask if someone is a whore and not be judgy about it? Especially in that wording. You know, it's like, hmm. True, but the author, the author made a point to make sure that we knew Natalie was being judgy, though. Like, it was important for us to know she was judgy, (laughs) I guess. But you're right. I mean, (laughs) it does seem kind of judgy just in in general. If somebody asked if I was a whore, I would feel quite judged. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a loaded question, isn't it? Even (laughs) Honestly, with my smart-ass attitude, I'd be like, a whore for what? Yes, but to (laughs) what degree? We learn... Pretty early on that Natalie is a racist jerk. Yeah, and I'm kind of surprised that Ryan doesn't catch on faster. He's like, he's genuinely surprised. I'm like, dude, where were you? How did you not catch this? It is a very weird thing because, okay, I'm going to say this word. And if you know anything about American politics, you're going to be like, what? But just stay with me here. So... Natalie's parents are prominent Republicans. The party of Lincoln. Yes. During Civil War era, they were the abolitionists. Well, some of them. (laughs) Yes. Or a lot of them were. Yeah, there were divisions within the party. Yes. But they were the good party, I guess. Like, you can see my finger quotes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The Civil War is a complicated thing. But suffice it to say, by this time, in the 1870s, they were definitely known for being the party that ended slavery. Yes. And Rhine 
like I said earlier, he has political aspirations and he is also a Republican. He, I think, kind of decided to marry Natalie because of her parents. Yeah, I got the impression that Ryan wanted to have less of a marriage for love and more marriage for power of some kind. He wants to gain some sort of legitimacy in the party. And he thinks that this is a way that he'll get closer to that. And Natalie is young. She's like 20. And she's beautiful. And I think maybe he just didn't spend a lot of time with her. Yeah, or it was like, well, it can't be that bad. Only to realize, oh, no, wait, it is that bad. (laughs) At that time, it's not like they would actually spend a lot of alone time together. She could still have to fall under, like, chaperone rules and things like that. Which, I mean, those got loosened during the Civil War anyway, (laughs) because things changed. Fewer men. Well, yeah, but I mean, people's jobs within society changed because of chaos of the war. So... Right. All different kinds of things were happening. I have a feeling that Natalie's parents kept her on a pretty short leash most of the time that she spent with Ryan up to this point. Yeah, because, I mean, he was also a successful businessman, so they wanted to make sure, like, that marriage would happen. So it was in their vested interest to shut her up. And her parents are like, Natalie, don't be so rude. Because that's what's wrong with it. Yes. She's rude. (laughs) It's not that she thinks that black people (laughs) are beneath her. It's that she's rude. But whatever. After the show... Ryan gets a little bit of alone time with Natalie. They drop her parents off and she stays behind to chat with him for a bit before she goes inside. And he tells her that he'll be in San Francisco for a few days to visit his brother. And she says, oh, good. Are you going to sell the saloon? (laughs) And Ryan's like, no, I'm not going to sell the saloon. Natalie says, well, no decent person goes to that saloon and I will not be a subject for gossip. You can't have that saloon, Ryan. (laughs) She's very sure that she's going to convince him. I don't know how, because Ryan point blank tells her, I'm not selling it. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely get the impression that if their marriage were to happen, they'd be such a happy couple. (laughs) Natalie has the impression that she's going to somehow manipulate him and he isn't really into it. He's not invested enough. No. And now that he's met Eddie, he finds himself comparing Natalie and Eddie. Eddie wouldn't do this or that. Eddie would do this instead. (laughs) Eddie wouldn't just ask some woman if they're a whore. (laughs) Sorry, that was just me being snarky. (laughs) So it's bizarre, too, because it's like, I don't know. I kind of wonder, like, is Ryan in La La Land or something? Because Natalie is a 20-year-old cosseted white woman. Eddie is a 27-year-old bedraggled, near-dead black woman. He doesn't really know her because she just has started to feel better, like, yes, just Yes, because she lately. has to recover. I mean, aloe vera can only do so much. It takes time to heal. So what kind of comparison is he making? It's yeah. odd. You think he's looking for a way out? He's <laughs> like, wait, I know that this is bad. I need <laughs> record. <laughs> <laughs> I think that whether or not Eddie entered his life whatsoever, he'd probably end up not going through with the marriage with Natalie. Because the more he gets to know her, 
the more he realizes how different her values are from his. And he realizes that this marriage, while it looks good on paper, just doesn't really like it wouldn't be a good thing. So I think he would break up with her anyway. But now that Eddie is in the picture, he has more of a reason to be thinking about it, I guess. Yeah. If you can even say Eddie is in the picture, because like I said, <laughs> she's really not at this point. <laughs> but but romance and, and instant connection and stuff. <laughs> stuff. While Ryan has gone to San Francisco, Eddie is feeling pretty good. She's well enough to be up and around. She meets up with Sylvie and discusses getting hired on as a cook at the boarding house. Sylvie says that is really her only duty is just to cook breakfast and then dinners. And they cook, I think, a dinner for the public on Sundays. So big dinner on Sundays. The pay is a lot higher than Eddie expected. And she's super thrilled. (laughs) She makes sure Sylvie knows that she doesn't intend to stay forever. She's going to save up money and continue her journey to California. And Sylvie's like, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Take advantage of it. And then Sylvie takes her on a tour around the town. And Eddie learns a bit more about Virginia City. Like I said earlier, it's kind of more progressive. It's got a bit more diversity. But it's really not perfect, of course. It's also a mining town. So there's background noise a lot that everyone says that you'll get used to if you stay there. A lot of people are making a lot of money from the mining. People like Ryan. When Ryan gets back from San Francisco, he goes to check on Eddie and finds her preparing fish for the boarding house. And he asks her to dinner. And it's weird. I don't think he even expected (laughs) he would ask her to dinner. (laughs) It's like, he's talking to her. He's like, oh my gosh, this woman. Have dinner with me. Eddie's like, uh, <laughs> dude, you're engaged. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I think she makes it pretty clear that this is not going to happen. But she's she's not rude or anything. And Ryan leaves. He's so confused. He doesn't know what's going on with him. He doesn't know why he asked her to dinner. I mean, he thinks Eddie has a good point. Yeah, I'm engaged. You're right. Funny you should bring that up. That was stupid of me. Correct. I feel corrected (laughs) and called out. But he's also... (laughs) But he's also got a bruised ego. (laughs) Women don't turn me down. They don't turn down this hunk. What the Uh, heck, Eddie? Humility. But on Eddie's side, she's kind of insulted (laughs) that he asked her to dinner. (laughs) You know, who do you think I am? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not some wanton who's going to dally with you whenever you want. That's, yeah, no, that's not happening. And she also is starting to wonder, too, like, is he the type of guy who I think the wording in the book is, is he the type of guy who often dallies with women outside his race? Uh, we know it was a thing. Yeah, it was an industry. But Eddie isn't that type of woman she isn't willing to go there ryan ends up having dinner out with natalie and she's still nagging him about selling the saloon 
she is somehow still shocked when he reminds her that he's not going to sell it. And then later, Ryan is back at the saloon and he's talking to Jim about Eddie. And Jim gives him some really good advice. He says, unless you plan to break things off with Natalie and tell Eddie who you really are, aka your heritage, then you need to leave Eddie alone. Yep. Jim is the only one in town who knows about Ryan's secret. He has not told anyone else. So now Eddie has moved in to Sylvie's place and she has her first night cooking for the public. Everyone loves her food. They think she's a wonderful cook. She gets called out to meet people after dinner. She gets a lot of male attention. (laughs) One notable male is Zeke, who is a carpenter, and he's very flirtatious with her. Sylvie seems to think that Zeke would be a really good match for Eddie. She's trying to do a little matchmaking thing. And Eddie, I think, is interested in Zeke. She doesn't feel the same electric chemistry (laughs) that she feels with Ryan. But Zeke is a handsome dude. He's got a good job. And he's appropriate. That's what gets us. (laughs) That's what gets. That's what gets us going. Appropriateness. Right, Em? (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) Do I sound convincing? (laughs) (laughs) Eddie really wants that to be true. (laughs) The next day, Sylvie takes Eddie with her to go talk to Mary, the one who runs the orphanage, about funding ideas, and Eddie suggests that they hold a services auction. Sylvie and Mary haven't really heard of what that is, and Eddie explains it that different businesses can donate services to raise money, and Mary's like, oh, that sounds awesome. You can be in charge of it. Eddie's like, cool, I'll do that. I'm super capable. (laughs) I can do everything. While she's there, Ryan shows up to deliver a crate of dishes and cookware that has been donated to their orphanage. Sylvie conveniently has to leave to go help deliver a baby. You know, she's got that nurse midwifey thing going on. She asks Ryan to make sure Eddie gets home okay. Ryan's like, heck yeah, I will. When Eddie and Ryan get a chance to talk, he apologizes for asking her out. Eddie accepts. And then he asks her if she would feel differently if he weren't engaged. Eddie's pretty honest with him. She says that she's attracted to him too, but she's super aware of the societal barriers to them being together. And she's really not willing to be a mistress, only a wife and only in the case of a love match. But then she says, but it's moot because (laughs) you're engaged. So really it doesn't matter. (laughs) Subject closed. And that evening, Eddie and Sylvie go to the baseball game It's an annual game played by the Republicans on, I guess the Republicans in town, really. But it's the white Republicans versus the black Republicans. And the black Republicans always win because they tend to be more physically fit due to the types of jobs they hold. They've always won, I think. (laughs) Isn't it the bust of Lincoln or something? (laughs) Like a mini bust of Lincoln? Maybe. I don't remember, but I remember there was a joke about building a trophy case for them because they're (laughs) never going to have to give it up because they always win. (laughs) Zeke and Ryan are both playing at this game and they're on opposite teams, of course. After the game, Eddie sees Ryan with his fiance, Natalie, and Sylvie lets Eddie know that Natalie is really spoiled. (laughs) That's what she calls it. Two weeks pass. 
Things have settled into a new normal, sort of. Ryan and Eddie run into each other occasionally at the orphanage due to their separate reasons for being there, but they kind of keep their distance. Sylvie's friend Vera, who is a seamstress, offers Eddie a side hustle to make treats for her shop in exchange for new clothes. Eddie accepts because she has very few outfits and they're not very good. At some point, Jim tells Ryan that they're going to have to change their Thursday dinner because Eddie is now doing a fish fry that day too and there's not enough fish to be bought. I guess the saloon used to do a fish fry on Thursdays and now they can't. (laughs) Ryan (laughs) likes that. He likes that Eddie is doing well. (laughs) He's still into her, but he's also wishing he wasn't because he wants to continue on his current path. Obviously... Eddie is right anyway. The subject is moot. At one point, Eddie is getting fitted for her new clothes, and as she's leaving the seamstress shop, she sees Ryan and Natalie. They're looking at pictures of wedding gowns for Natalie, and Ryan introduces them. Natalie, I wrote in the notes, Natalie snubs her. She completely ignores Eddie, is what she does. Ryan apologizes for Natalie's behavior. After Eddie leaves, Natalie tells Ryan that he embarrassed her. She's upset about it. Ryan points out that, you know what, Natalie, I'm a Republican and we're probably going to be entertaining people of color in our home. And I expect you to be polite Uh as my wife. After they pick out a wedding dress, Ryan has lunch with Natalie and her mother. Natalie is still talking about this subject. She doesn't see why she should have to acknowledge then in public her mom points out that she and natalie's father are abolitionists why is natalie being like this where did she learn this <laughs> where did you get this I from, natalie? from watching you i mean whoops natalie decides she needs to go rest and lay down she leaves ryan and beatrice natalie's mom have a talk beatrice tries to reassure him that natalie will change her point of view She's like, yeah, me and her dad will talk to her. Ryan isn't really sure. And at this point, her beauty isn't overshadowing her rudeness to Eddie, her racism (laughs) and her self-centeredness. He's kind of ready to nope out at this point. He also mentions the thing about Natalie pestering him to sell the saloon. And Beatrice agrees with Natalie on this one, saying that it would be better to sell the saloon so that Natalie isn't subject to gossip. Apparently, that's a big deal. Ryan tells Beatrice that he's not selling the saloon and maybe he just needs to end the engagement. Beatrice is like, oh, no, no. Oh, hold on. We'll fix it. It's fine. It's okay. But Ryan leaves. Part of the reason keeping the Union Saloon is such a big deal to Ryan is because he was a former slave. He likes that he owns something. (laughs) Yeah. Because as a slave, he didn't get to. He didn't have any autonomy. So... Being able to own a prominent, successful business is a huge deal to him. And not only that, it enables him to help his community. His saloon serves the people of color in the community. So he likes that. He doesn't want to hurt the community. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to sell the saloon and get rid of another safe place for people to gather. And at this point, he's decided that he needs to end his engagement to Natalie He's thinking long term. What if they had kids? He doesn't want 
her to pass down racist views to his kids. At this point in the story, I was kind of wondering why he didn't think about this, but maybe it's just because of the time period. But just because Ryan passes doesn't mean his kids would. Yeah. Even even if they have a white mom. So I kind of thought that was interesting. Like, what would... <laughs> What would Ryan do? Well, they didn't really understand genetics then. So, I mean, he might have thought so. I don't know. It's one of those things that I thought was kind of weird, at least to me, that it didn't come up in the story at all. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter because he doesn't marry Natalie and they don't have children. So who cares? It's fine. Ryan goes to talk with Lyman, Natalie's dad, to break off this engagement to Natalie. Lyman doesn't like this. He tries to strong arm Ryan into reconsidering. Since they both sit on the city council, he threatens to retaliate politically. And Ryan reminds Lyman, hey, dude, I own your house. (laughs) Remember that time I helped you get out of gambling debt? Yeah, I still have the deed to your house, dude. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) Lyman's like, oh, yeah. Oops. There is that. Ryan is pretty nice about it. Overall, I think, because he agrees that Natalie can be the one to say she broke it off. And he also agrees to not see anyone in the near future so that Natalie's reputation can stay intact. And then Lyman says, well, what about the deed? And Ryan says he's going to keep that in play. He's going to use that as insurance against retaliation, which is smart. (laughs) Ryan is one of those romance heroes who is pretty much always one step ahead. Yeah. He's got a lot of plans. He's like Batman. (laughs) His plans have plans. The next day or a couple days later, Eddie is getting fitted again at the seamstresses. And Natalie comes by and talks to Vera. She needs to cancel her wedding dress order. And she says she broke up with Ryan because he won't sell the saloon. After Natalie leaves, Vera says that's about time Ryan came to his senses Eddie thinks it's kind of funny that Vera immediately assumes it was Ryan who broke it off, even though Natalie said (laughs) she did. Then Natalie goes to drop off her engagement ring to Ryan because she doesn't want it. She says she might spread a rumor that Ryan was seeing Eddie on the side. And Ryan says, quote, don't stir waters that might flow back to drown you. I like that line. (laughs) Basically, Natalie doesn't know, but he's trying to warn her that something bad will happen if she does that because his plan is that if natalie ruins eddie's reputation he's going to take their house they're gonna live in a tent (laughs) after that ryan runs into eddie at the general store i think it's a general store is that what they call it he shamelessly flirts (laughs) with her in public eddie's like leave me alone stop this She sees all the people looking. She's worried. You know, here's this white guy hitting on me. No, I'm not asking for this, guys. (laughs) Please just leave me alone. (laughs) But he wants to make sure Eddie knows he's no longer engaged. (laughs) He makes a point of letting her know. And then he invites her to dinner again. Eddie avoids this. She's just she just says, you know what? Just leave me alone. You need to leave me alone. And then she leaves the store. She's done. She's like, I'm out. I can't handle this right now. (laughs) Keep your drama to yourself, dude. So that afternoon, the Lincoln Club is having a meeting at the saloon. Sylvie invites Eddie to attend with her. 
and Ryan is hosting because it's his saloon, but he doesn't plan to participate. This is a club where um, people of color get together and discuss politics and civil events and things like that. He doesn't really want to participate because the last time he participated, he got a lot of tough questions about behavior of white Republicans in higher positions of power, choosing political power over the rights of the formerly enslaved. And he didn't really have anything to say about that because he agrees that that's really crappy and shouldn't be happening. Before the meeting, Eddie gets a lot of male attention. A lot of the guys come and introduce themselves. So Eddie is not only beautiful, but also a good cook. So she's a total catch. She's got a lot of guys interested in her. Zeke shows up again, and she seems to be interested in him too. Still, she's like, yes, he's handsome. He's nice. He's appropriate. This is a go. I like this one. Eddie hasn't really dated or anything. So she has very little to no experience with men. During the meeting, there's a lot of sharing about the current political climate and current events. There's a lot of civil unrest. There's a lot of white people attacking and killing black people. And it's just really crappy. It helps set the stage for the time period. And um, I think, I mean, they would be talking about that, right? Like, so, yeah. After the meeting, Zeke comes over and he and Eddie are talking and then Ryan sees them and he comes over and tries to like stake a claim on Eddie. You know, he stands in such a way like, (laughs) no, mine, back off. Hiss, hiss. Eddie is not having this at all. (laughs) Like, Dude, what is this? Can you not? She ends up leaving with Zeke. He walks her home. He asks her if Ryan is bothering her. Eddie says, no, he's just interested, but she's not interested back. They also talk about Eddie's plans to move to California and open a restaurant. Zeke is kind of surprised that she's not looking to get married and have a family. And he asks her, are you one of those newfangled (laughs) women? (laughs) Eddie's like, yeah, I absolutely am. You got a problem with that, buddy? No, no, it's great. I love it. Zeke says he wants to call on her, and she says she'd like that. So it's the next day, or maybe a couple days later, Eddie goes to the bordello in town to buy some eggs. The bordello has a side hustle of selling eggs. Yeah. I thought that was great. (laughs) (laughs) But, unluckily, she sees someone she recognizes. Santa? (laughs) Oh, there we go. (laughs) No! (laughs) It's Nash! I don't necessarily do it every time. Nash is there. (laughs) I like it, though. (laughs) He tries to get Eddie's attention, and she ignores him, and he's very rude about it, and she ignores him, and things start escalating, and Nash grabs her arm, and he starts saying some horrible stuff to her, and then all of a sudden, Ryan is there. He happens to be there because he owns the building, that the bordello is run out of and was picking up rent. He has his gun out and he's threatening Nash and he says, let her go. Nash lets go of Eddie. Kind of tries to smooth things over a little bit. He implies to Ryan that he's had sex with her before. You know, oh, I didn't realize this was your woman. She was mine before or something. It was gross. Like, yeah, yeah, it's just ew. This pisses Eddie off. She's super upset (laughs) about this. 
She grabs a bottle of whiskey off the bar and hits Nash <laughs> over the head, knocking him out. Yay. I thought that was great. Ryan goes up to Eddie and tries to check on her. Oh, can I drive you home? Eddie's like, no, I'm walking home. Well, can I check on you later? No, I'm fine. Thanks for helping. <laughs> Leave me alone. And then she leaves. Ryan sees Nash is waking up and he threatens him some more, takes all his money. He's like, yeah, I knew you stole money from her. Give me all your money. He's planning to give Eddie her money back. I think he gets like $50 from Nash. I don't know if that was all Eddie's money, but at least it's some. That would be a lot of money in that time period, too. And then he tells Nash to leave town. And he also says, don't ever put your hands on a woman in my sight again, which I thought was a weird thing to say. I think it would be better to say, just don't put your hands on a woman again. Yeah. Like, just don't do it. It doesn't matter if I'm there. Just don't. Do it. Just, <laughs> just, just don't. Just stop. Okay, Ryan. Yeah, sure. It's fine, dude. You want to assault women while I'm gone? That's cool. Just don't. Just make sure I'm not there to see I'm it. I have to do stuff about it. And I'm busy. No. <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those things. I don't think the author no, intended it like that. But it's one of those things where my where my brain is like, huh, that's interesting he said it that way. <laughs> <laughs> after this ryan has a little reflection moment where he thinks about the fact that if he weren't seen as white he wouldn't have been able to stand up for eddie like that without the threat of being arrested or hanged mm -hmm. so he kind of recognizes a little bit of his privilege there i think he's trying to justify passing still yeah i think that's part of it too like well it's a good thing i'm passing because i helped <laughs> i mean that's his whole th yeah. that's his whole shtick right he's passing to help right it's a superpower part of it is selfish because i could see why someone who could would in that situation i think of it as the idea of most people don't want to make their lives harder than they are than life is in general so if there's something yeah. that they could do or allow or whatever to make their lives easier it's understandable why someone would. I think he keeps trying to justify it, though. The The text doesn't really delve into him feeling guilty about it or anything like that. But I kind of suspect that that's one of the reasons he's so active in the community, trying to be political, trying to raise people up wherever he can. I don't know if it's all um, pure altruism or if some of it is maybe a little fueled by guilt mm -hmm. it's not something that's really talked about in the text it makes sense that guilt would motivate him yeah at least partially or maybe or be one one Possibly. of i don't know other motivating factors and maybe more motivating depending on the situation later that evening ryan shows up to check on eddie even though she told him not to and to be fair even though she told him not to she was kind of wondering if he would so <laughs> there's that when he takes out the money that he got from nash she at first thinks he's trying to buy her services she's a little worried about this he sets the record straight he says no this is the money i took from nash i'm just trying to pay you back from what he stole from you she's like oh good phew <laughs> again <laughs> you're not an asshole that's good i'm glad <laughs> but he does ask her for a chance to prove his intentions to her 
and she tells him up front she has no experience with men. She also points out that her parents were a love match, and if she ever marries, she's only going to marry for love. She doesn't want to be anyone's mistress. You know, she's, these are my boundaries, enough. She also asks if he loved Natalie, and he says no. (laughs) And then she asks if his parents loved each other, and he says no. And she can tell that this is a painful subject. She's not really sure why. He says he wants her and asks if he can kiss her before he goes. And it's kind of heated. She's kind of feeling it. I don't know. Something gets into her and she's like, okay, yes, I'm going to let this dude kiss me. They kiss. It's amazing. Eventually she realizes, oh, wait, wait, wait. I said this is not going to happen. So she pulls away. (laughs) (laughs) Even that was good. He says he wants another kiss, but he'll leave like he told her he would. And after he's gone, she just doesn't know what got into her. Like, (laughs) how did I let him kiss me like that? (laughs) This is her first kiss, guys. She doesn't want to want him. She wants Uh to stop wanting him. She wants to turn it off, but it doesn't work. The switch is broken. (laughs) The switch is turned all the way up. (laughs) And then snapped off. Ryan goes home. He's determined that he needs to court her, but he's not really sure how he is going to go about it. He doesn't want to ask her to be his mistress. He feels like that would be bad. And not only that, but he's pretty sure she'd say no anyway. And he realizes now his choice is either to A, leave her alone, or B, turn his life upside down, which I think means let everyone know his secret. I mean, that's the advice Jim gave him earlier. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad he finally came around, figured it out. Yay. Eddie is getting kind of known around town as being an amazing cook. And that Sunday, there's a humongous crowd for Sunday dinner. Sylvie even says that they may need to hire more help. After the dinner is over, Zeke stops by to visit. And he starts kind of working his way around to ask Eddie out. When all of a sudden, Ryan shows up because he has a business proposal for Eddie. (laughs) So we get some more. Oh, there's Zeke. Hi, Zeke. Why are you talking to Eddie? No. I'm jealous. (laughs) Even though I have no right to be right now, but I am. And yet I have the feelings of jealousy. And Ryan is kind of shameless still. He makes like little subtle flirtatious remarks. He kind of implies things that seem innocent, except Eddie knows what he means because he's referencing things that happened earlier in the kitchen, you know, when they kissed. Mm -hmm. Um, Ryan says, it's fine. I'll come back tomorrow and talk to you. And he leaves. Zeke remarks that it does seem like Ryan is interested in Eddie, but then so is he. (laughs) He asks her to a concert at the saloon that Friday, and Eddie agrees to go. After Zeke leaves, Eddie is left comparing how she feels around Zeke to how she feels around Ryan. So while Zeke is the obvious choice, she doesn't feel the zingies like she does with Ryan. Ryan has gone back to the saloon to his office to pout, or brood, maybe. He's jealous. He knows... He really shouldn't be. He has no claim on Eddie, but he is jealous. And while he's brooding in his office, Zeke comes in to confront him. He wants to know Ryan's intentions toward Eddie. 
Ryan says that he was going to ask her to make cakes for the annual Republican social dinner. And Zeke says, yeah, aside from that. And Ryan says, yeah, that's none of your business. And Zeke says, Ryan has no business around one of, quote, our women, unquote. Zeke's feeling a little protective and I think angry. Yeah. Ryan admits to Zeke that he is interested in Eddie and Zeke tells him to leave her alone. And then he leaves, but Ryan's like, yeah, that's not happening, bud. Sorry. And then someone else shows up. Natalie. She's dropped by to ask if Ryan has changed his mind about breaking things off. (laughs) Have you come to your senses yet, Ryan? He says, no, I have not changed my mind. She then says she's going to accept someone else's proposal. Ryan's like, good for you. Bye. Eddie is starting to think she might be willing to stay in Virginia City. She kind of is feeling more at home there. She's got a job. She's got friends. She's met Zeke, but she still wants to open her own restaurant. But if she stays in Virginia City, then there's still the problem of Ryan being interested in her. She just doesn't know how to solve that problem. And I don't know if she wants to at this point. I think she does. You know, even though they kissed and it was awesome and she's super into him, I just, I think at this point in the story, she she still is like, yeah, it would be so much easier if he would just leave me alone. Yeah. The next morning, Ryan comes back over to discuss his business proposal with Eddie. Of course, she agrees to make cakes and she keeps trying to keep the topic on business and he keeps talking about how much he's been thinking about her and how much he wants to be with her and all sorts of sexy stuff. Eddie tells him that she's not going to give in to him because he'll break her heart once he moves on to a woman more suitable for him. This kind of works, actually. (laughs) Ryan takes this seriously and he's kind of distant for the rest of the conversation. (laughs) He keeps it on business. He asks her if she'd be willing to help cook the rest of the meal as well with Jim. And she agrees. And then he leaves. So... Maybe yay? Probably not, though. I think Ryan's just worried about the broken heart comment. And he's like, no, I need to prove myself to her. I need to figure out how to do that. (laughs) Okay, so remember the service auction for the orphanage? Yeah, it's that time now. It's the night of the service auction. Eddie is wearing one of her fancy new outfits from Vera. And the auction is a wonderful success. They make some good money for the orphanage. Everyone pitches in. Um, It's been a real community building event. It's awesome. After the auction, Ryan approaches Eddie again and she rebuffs him again. And as they're talking, the twin boys, the two orphan boys that Ryan really likes, interrupt and ask Ryan to listen to their prayers. And so he leaves and goes with them. And now Eddie is starting to think about Ryan differently. A couple things have happened this evening. (laughs) So... At the auction, Ryan donated a a bottle of champagne to put up for auction, and then he bid on it himself to an exorbitant amount to donate the money to the orphanage. And then when he won the champagne, he gifted it to the local barber for his anniversary with his wife. Aww. So it was this huge, awesome gesture, and that was really cool. And then... Eddie sees this relationship that Ryan has with the boys actually is a little bit deeper than maybe she first thought. Because she's seen Ryan hanging around and, you know, visiting with them and whatnot. But 
She didn't realize they were that close. So she's starting to wonder about him. When Ryan comes back, he and Eddie talk again. He seems a little sad. He tells Eddie that the boys may be getting adopted by a couple in Sacramento. And while he's happy for them, he's sad because they're leaving. He had wanted to adopt them, but the state told him no, because you are single and white. So no. I think this is the first time that he's been really impacted in a bad way by passing as white. Yeah, maybe. He had this really close relationship with these kids. He really wanted to keep them in his life and can't. Yeah. He's starting to realize, oh, that kind of sucks. Now it's Friday. Eddie and Zeke go on their date. It starts off well. But this date is at the saloon and Ryan is there. And at one point, Zeke catches Eddie looking at Ryan. And after that, he becomes pretty distant with Eddie. He drops her off at home and he tells her he's not going to compete with a white man for her. But she should remember that a white man won't marry her. So he's kind of, I don't know, he's a complicated character. We don't really get a lot of resolution with him after this point either because he's not he, de- he never ends up being bad or evil or doing anything wrong. He's just distant now from this point on. Yeah. I kind of wonder what he's thinking. Part of it is probably jealousy. But I mean, there's also that racial element too. And his perception of things and, you know, seeing Eddie seeming to be interested in this guy who can't give her a legitimate relationship i wonder if that makes him think more poorly of eddie you know that she would possibly make that choice maybe he probably cares enough about her that he doesn't want her to have any negative things happen to her which the negative things would be associated with ryan yeah but he also knows that he can't choose for her but i mean he knows that they they aren't sparking (laughs) So yeah, I think you like, picked up on that. Well, <laughs> good luck. Bye. What can he do? There's nothing really that he can do and and make us still like him at all. You know, like if he were to run interference or whatever, then it's like, oh, well, then he's an active obstacle. That's not good. Yeah, no, he seems like a really decent guy. Yeah. We just don't get very much insight into Zeke. We have to think and wonder. Yeah. The next day, Sylvie has a business proposal for Eddie. She suggests that they open a restaurant together as co-owners. Eddie is super excited. She kind of has been wanting to stay in Virginia City, and her dream could possibly come true even sooner than she hoped, because partnering with Sylvie means she won't have to raise as much money on her own, do as much stuff on her own. You know, her journey could be almost over and she could start her new life. Ryan is also going to be a primary investor in the business and on the deed to the building as part owner. This is something that Sylvie has worked with Ryan before on, I guess, with her current business. Sylvie's like, is that going to be fine? Because I know you guys have this weird thing that we're not talking about. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, no, it'll be (laughs) fine. At this point, though, she's decided, you know what? Ignoring it is not helping. Maybe I just need to go to dinner with him and get this out of my system. And then I'll figure it out. And also, she's apparently in love with him now. 
I was shocked at this point. I'm like, you're in love with this man? Are you sure? Yeah, it kind of felt sudden to me. Yeah, he's cute and all, and he seems really nice, but are you sure this is love? <laughs> are you really? Okay. All right. We also learned that one of Ryan's motives for helping out with this business is to keep Eddie in town. <laughs> he's like, yeah, sure, she can open her restaurant here. That sounds great. <laughs> then she won't leave <laughs> uh later when he comes to sylvie's to have her sign some papers about the business only eddie is there and they talk a little bit she tells him what happened with zeke because you know ryan was present for their date <laughs> he knows they went out and then he asks her out to dinner again and she accepts she's like yes only one night but i'm doing this because I want to know what it feels like to be desired. Okay, so I guess that means that she wanted to have sex with him. Because after this, after she says that, Ryan's thoughts immediately turn to having sex with her. Like, that's what he's thinking about now. He's like, oh, it's on the table. Yes. I don't know if that was like some subtext I missed or if that line was meant to be like a lot more sensual than I thought it was originally. But I mean... You can tell a man that you want to know what it's like to be desired without saying, yeah, and we're going to get naked together, too. Yeah, that's not necessarily the same thing. But maybe I, I, I don't know. It was a weird shift for Ryan, though, because up to this point, he was like really respectful for the most part. And then all of a sudden it's like, OK, well, let's kiss and make out. <laughs> I'm already planning to have more than one night with you, even though you said only one night. And things get kind of hot and heavy. He's super excited, if you know what I mean. And then they hear Sylvie get back and he sits down quickly under the table to hide his excitement. <laughs> so he's he's sitting there pretending nothing happened. Ed, Eddie's standing there looking like she's just been thoroughly kissed. Sylvie comes in and she's not a dum-dum. She knows <laughs> what they've been up to. <laughs> she doesn't say anything, though. She acts like nothing happened. She's like, okay. I guess this is happening. All right, guys. Hope you know what you're doing. Ryan's already, he's so far in the future. He's thinking wedding bells already at this point. Heck yeah. <laughs> it's a go. <laughs> so now it's date night. Eddie's getting ready for her date with Ryan. Sylvie's being supportive. She's told Eddie that, you know, as long as you know what you're doing, that's fine. But you should probably be discreet and careful because you don't want to get in trouble. Earlier in the story, we learn more about Sylvie. She had an affair with the town doctor. Yee. And she was actually having an affair while her husband died in the mines. Uh-oh. And she's been consumed with guilt ever since. Makes sense. And so there's some weird tension between her and the doctor all throughout the story. But this story gives the reader, I think, a little insight into why Sylvie might be so okay with Eddie pursuing her passion. Yeah. Yeah. Live your best life. Just be careful. Eddie sneaks into the saloon through the kitchen. Of course, she can't show up at the front door. She's a woman. What would that <laughs> look like? Ryan set up one of the spare rooms as a romantic place for them to have a candlelit dinner. But this dinner soon turns into kissing, making out, fingering. She orgasms, and she's never had an orgasm before. This is her first Yay orgasm. for her. And he had to explain it to her. 
I felt so bad yeah. for her. This this poor woman is 27. This is her first orgasm. She didn't know what it was. Yeah. This book is kind of old school in that way. We very much have the man explaining the sexual things to the woman. Yeah. After that, after she recovers a bit, he asks her to marry him. She says, no, it's illegal. Don't ask me that. And then he says, it's not because he's not white. And it kind of takes a minute. (laughs) And as it starts to sink in, he tells her about his childhood and what he did after the war and how he got all his money to start out. And he says that when the twins got adopted, he realized that he lost a lot, but he'd rather give up passing as white than to lose her too. And he has some plans in place with his brother. His investments and everything can be protected by his brother. His brother's willing to help him with that. This kind of changes everything. Eddie agrees to think about his proposal for a few days and meanwhile keep his secret. After Ryan drops her off at home, Eddie has decided that as long as he doesn't want her to give up on her dreams, she'll marry him. And she feels super loved because he's willing to completely change his life in order to be with her. I thought it was weird because he still hasn't told her he loves her yet, but okay. I mean, I guess he kind of did because he's like, yeah, I'm going to give up passing as white to be with you. I mean, that's kind of a declaration of love, I suppose. Yeah. But he didn't say the L word. Yeah. Back at home, Ryan is feeling pretty happy about how the evening went. He's thinking to himself about how much he loves her. And I'm going, you didn't (laughs) say it, though, dude. And he's pretty sure she'll say yes. He sends a message to Andrew to start putting their prearranged protection stuff in place. And then he makes plans to tell Sylvie and the doctor the truth first because he doesn't want them to be taken by surprise. He wants them to be in on it. And then he's going to reveal his true self to everyone at the annual Republican social. (laughs) (laughs) And then when he does tell Sylvie and the doctor, it turns out that they had a bet. Sylvie had bet the doctor that Ryan was passing this whole time. (laughs) It kind of throws him off. He's like, really? You know? Awkward. The next day, I think, I don't know, it's the barber's anniversary dinner. Eddie and Ryan are both there. So Eddie gets a chance to tell Ryan, yes, yes, I'll marry you. Some more time passes. The sheriff comes to tell Eddie that they've apprehended Nash and he was a known criminal and was wanted for assault, theft and embezzlement. Mm. Eddie feeds the sheriff dinner and he makes arrangements to have orders delivered in the future. This is a pretty big deal because white people can't come eat at Sylvie's. That would just be unbecoming, Mm -hmm. obviously. But they all want to eat Eddie's food. The sheriff kind of starts this trend because now other white people are making orders also. (laughs) So I guess it's good. Ryan comes by and they make plans to get married after the annual social. Eddie wants all the fallout to be over with before they get married. She tells him about Nash. And now it's the night of the social and Ryan's big reveal. He, he's ready. <laughs> he waits. He waits 40 minutes while people arrive and get started eating before he makes an announcement. He stands up and he starts talking about stuff, you know, and you get the impression he does this every year. But then he says, the man you know is Ryan Fontaine was born a slave in Georgia. And it takes a few minutes to sink <laughs> in, I think. Pretty soon, people start getting upset. They start using the N-word. 
Natalie is there. She comes up to him and demands him to say that he's lying because she'd never date or kiss a N-word. A lot of his former supposed friends are really upset that they were fooled. Glass is being broken. Messes are being made. People are yelling horrible things. And then the dinner's over. (laughs) Hey, you know, he knows how to end a party. As everyone's leaving, Natalie demands that Eddie get her rap for her because Natalie is Eddie's better. Natalie's parents seem really appalled by Natalie's behavior. But Natalie... She's not doing well. She thinks Ryan is lying about not being white. After the dinner, Ryan takes Eddie out to the countryside to make out and stiff and then takes her home. The next morning, we learn Ryan made the news. <laughs> not, a, <laughs> not in a good way. Lyman, Natalie's dad, shows up demanding the deed to his house. He's like, yeah, I don't need to honor that with you since you're not white. Mm-hmm. Ryan says, ha ha, I sold it to my white brother. So, <laughs> sucks to be you, man. He's going to be asking for payments soon. Enjoy. <laughs> I loved that. Again, though, it's a total Batman move, yes. right? Yeah. He knew. He knew that would happen. The sheriff shows up and he gives a little speech about how this is not personal and he's on Ryan's side. But here's a letter from the city council demanding your resignation. They didn't want to bring it to you themselves. And Ryan says he's not going to sign the letter, but he resigns and you can just let them know. Sylvie and Eddie make plans to throw Ryan a welcome home party, which I thought that was kind of cute. And then the next morning, Ryan comes over. He and Eddie talk about starting a family. They finally share I love yous. They plan to get married in two weeks. So things are happening, guys. Yay! But then we find out Ryan's saloon was vandalized. He goes and asks Zeke to replace the windows because he's the carpenter. Zeke asks why Ryan is even outing himself now when his life was so good before. Ryan says that he wanted to marry Eddie. Zeke's like, okay. Later he comes and looks at the damage and decides to take the job, but he's still kind of angry and distant. And like I said, throughout the whole rest of the book, he's fine. Zeke doesn't do anything wrong. He's just mad. Obviously, he's not friends with Ryan and he's not into Eddie anymore. I mean, it makes sense, but it's, yeah, but they still have to deal (laughs) with him. So I'm sure that's comfortable. Yeah. Ryan and Eddie make plans to buy a house. Ryan goes to the bank. The clerk at the bank is racist to him now. Ryan goes and speaks with the bank manager instead, who still says he's on Ryan's side. Ryan asks the bank manager, do you keep the money from the black people and the white people separate in your vault? And the bank manager is like, no. And Ryan says, well, then why is the service separate in the lobby? (laughs) And the bank manager is like, good point. (laughs) I'll think about that. So maybe some positive changes might happen at the bank. Who knows? We can hope. The welcome home party happens. It's awesome. Ryan announces to everyone that he and Eddie are getting married. And then the doctor proposes to Sylvie and she finally accepts him. So it looks like their little relationship problem is resolved. Over the next few days, Ryan is having a ton of fun spending all the money on Eddie. They pick out furniture for their house. He plans to buy her a new wardrobe. He's just spoiling the hell out of her. I think Eddie's enjoying it. I don't think she's ever experienced this before in her entire life. He's like, yes, okay. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) 
One day, Natalie shows up to Sylvie's with a gun and forces Eddie to go with her. She has plans to drive Eddie out to the desert and then leave her to die. As you do. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently it's a thing. I mean, Nash did Mm -hmm. it. Now Natalie's doing it. Natalie still thinks Ryan is lying so that he can marry Eddie. And she somehow thinks that if Eddie dies, Ryan will decide to go back to being white and he and Natalie can get married like they're supposed to. Yowza. Yeah, she's pretty deep into delusion at this point. Yes. She She's not doing well. They get out to the middle of the desert and Natalie forces Eddie to leave the carriage. And then the driver of the carriage, who is Chinese, also leaves. He says he's going to walk back home with Eddie. For some reason, he felt fine driving them out to the middle of buttfuck nowhere, but he wasn't fine leaving her there alone. I, okay, you take your stand, dude, right now. Yeah. Why did he drive her to the desert in the first place? I Maybe he thought it was going to go differently or feel differently. And then in the moment, he's like, oh, wait, this is like murder. I'm not okay with that. <laughs> Maybe. So Natalie is kind of discombobulated because now she doesn't have someone to drive her carriage. And Eddie sees a couple people on horseback off in the distance and she lets the carriage driver know and they start running for the horse people, like the <laughs> the horse people. They start running for the horsemen. Centaurs? <laughs> Natalie shoots Eddie in the back and she falls down and she also shoots the driver and unfortunately he dies. The men on horseback include Ryan, the sheriff, and the doctor. I don't know why there's a whole posse out. I'm not sure why, but Natalie's dad is also there. He has his carriage. Natalie is still clearly in mental distress. She thinks everything's fine now. <laughs> she's like, oh, yeah, see, she's dead. We can get married like we're supposed to, hun. It's great. It's all better. Yeah. It's, no, no, it's not, Natalie. <laughs> it is not okay. Her dad takes her away. When Eddie's in surgery... Some surprise visitors show up. It's her two nieces. They come in to Sylvie's and talk to Ryan and the sheriff, and they seem kind of standoffish and not sure around the two men. But we learn that Corrine sent them to Eddie alone by train. (laughs) Okay. After two days, Eddie wakes up. She finds her nieces with her. She sees how distrustful and skittish that they are around Ryan. Some more days pass. Eddie's still healing. We learn that Natalie has been hospitalized in upstate New York instead of arrested. Her dad managed to pull some strings. Eddie explains to Ryan that her sister was a whore, and that's probably why the girls avoid him, especially the older one, because she remembers more. But she'll try to talk to them and let them know that Ryan's a good guy. But then... Eddie finally gets a chance to read the letter that Corrine sent with the girls. And apparently she's giving the girls to Eddie because she's marrying a man who doesn't want them. So mother of the year right there. Yep. Uh, (laughs) It gets worse, though, because (laughs) when Eddie tries to explain to them what a marriage is, they have no idea. Okay, so content warning. I forgot this at the beginning. But mentions of child abuse and pedophilia, 
I don't think anything actually happened, but... Ugh. The fact that they ask is concerning. Yeah, so plug your ears for a couple minutes. Okay, so when Eddie finally tries to explain to the girls what a marriage is, they don't understand at all. They don't understand that husbands don't have to pay for sex. They don't understand that married couples only have sex with each other. They're relieved when they find out that Ryan is not going to want to have sex with them. It is beyond disturbing. Yes. Okay, it's safe now. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of. And given the time period, like, slavery has only been abolished for, what, five years-ish? Yeah. When slavery was a thing, enslaved people couldn't marry. There might be that added reason why they don't understand what marriage is. In addition to what their their mom's lifestyle exposed them to. It could be. I don't know. The text makes it sound like it's primarily due to the conditions under which they were raised. Yes, I agree. But yeah, it could have been a factor. Who knows? Two more weeks have passed. It's now wedding time. Ryan's sister, Sable, crashes the wedding. It's... Awesome, though, because this whole time, Ryan has always wished that he could find his sister again and find out if she's okay. So, yay, she's okay. She's also married. They get reunited. Um, She's happy. I looked it up. Sable was apparently a character in a different book where Ryan was introduced. Oh, I thought this was the first book in the series. But, I mean, obviously, maybe the series are connected. Yeah, I think it's a connected thing. Because this is the first in a series, but Sable was. I in kind a of wondered book. about that, just the way it was written. Yeah, it was. It was one of those cameo things, yeah. right? I was like, this feels <laughs> cameo-y, but this is the first yeah. book in the series, so question. And then the story ends with Ryan and Eddie being married and having a glorious, fabulous wedding night. Yay! How was the audiobook? Uh, it was narrated by Kim Stoughton. And she did a good job. She was believably the characters. So, yay. That's good. What did you think about the tone of the writing? I felt like it was kind of an old school sort of way of telling the story. I agree. But it felt, I don't know, like it felt appropriate. Sometimes it was a little info dumpy, but I can understand why they maybe wanted to make sure that that information got in the story. Yeah, The writing style to me, it definitely read like kind of a older romance. And I went and looked it up and it was actually published in 2016. So it's not really that old. But the author, I guess, has won awards and things like that. And well, clearly she favors that style and it works for her. Was it not very effective for you? It felt kind of distant for me. Mm. It didn't have that immersive quality for me. I really liked the setting. I think that she did a really good job setting up the town. She had a lot of people in this town. And for the most part, they weren't just names. Like we kind of got to know most of the people and have a good idea of how everyone interacts in town. And I kind of liked that, that it was bigger than just the couple. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, the town, definitely the setting felt populated. Yeah, I thought that was really well done. And I liked the 
time period it took place. I think it was interesting. It's definitely a very big part of United States history, for sure. It's a huge deal. And reading a story about a granted fictional black woman during that time period and what she may have experienced and what her life may have been like. I think the author did a good job with that too. I think that in that way, I was really, I I found it engaging because of that, like the historical aspect of it. But um, seeing history fictionalized through another person's eyes. Yeah, I, I think that that's valuable for sure. Well, were you happy for them, Em? I want them to be happy. I'm worried for them. Because <laughs> some of the people in town are very concerning. Their behaviors yes. are very concerning. Yeah. F- frankly, I'm surprised that the backlash was so minimal. Yeah. I mean, a lot of stuff happened. His store got vandalized. People started treating him differently. He lost his city council position, but he's still pretty privileged because he's got a ton of money and he's got a white brother who looks out for him. Yes. But I don't know. I kind of was expecting more shit to go down, honestly. And then when it did, it was against Eddie and it was Natalie just, I guess, having like a mental break or something. Yeah. And it was just... Honestly, kind of fucked up that Eddie had to pay for Ryan's lie. Yeah. And I, agree. I kind of feel like in the future, if they, I mean, if they stay in town, everyone knows them, right? And yeah. they know Ryan and, and they understand. But if they travel anywhere together, yeah. I mean, how is that going to look? Because he will look white to other white people. Yeah. And she's obviously black. Like, she has a deeper skin tone. So what's that going to be like if they travel? Yeah. (laughs) It kind of makes me feel a little nervous for them, like you said. I think, um, yeah, of course I want them to be happy. I guess the chemistry just made them fall in love with each other. I don't know. I don't really understand why they're in love, but they are. And so I want them to be happy, but I don't know. I'm kind of disappointed there wasn't more fallout, honestly. I went back and forth with the fallout aspect in my head. And it's like, on one hand, I felt like there should have been more. But on the other hand, I don't want it to happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wanted it not to be a thing. But of course, given the time period and given even the location, I mean, out west, but still. Yeah, I just I feel very conflicted. Like, I don't I don't know what would have felt like a historically accurate response but then i don't i mean i don't know if i necessarily want that (laughs) because i don't necessarily (laughs) think i would have been satisfied even if that had happened i feel like what the historically accurate response would have been would not have been anything near allowing them to have a happy ending yeah it's kind of a tough thing because the way it's written it's very neat yes everything is tidied up at the end and their way forward is if not smooth it's smoother right but it didn't feel genuine to me and i don't know if it's just like am i am i just bloodthirsty or well 
do I think worse of people or is it just because this is a romance book? So we want things to be happy. Yeah, totally. And so they just happen to be in this book. I think for me, I think that the thing was is <laughs> and this will not surprise you, but my cynical <laughs> jaded brain. Yeah. Trying to find some sort of happy medium between what I understand of of history and what I want to happen in happy romance fiction. And I mean, in real life too, right? Ideally, <laughs> like it would have been much better if it happened like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's the tricky thing with, I think, and although this is, this is not a contemporary story, but I think this is, it brings up, the problem that I sometimes have with contemporary romances because they don't feel real. But then that's not necessarily the experience you want. I don't know if a satisfying, a fully satisfying ending is possible. I mean, I think the author came as close as is possible, which is you do get the backlash, which is crappy, but you also get the happy. And luckily, the backlash wasn't so bad due to Ryan's connections and foresight. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, he understands how people can be. <laughs> how some people can be, I should say. I was kind of surprised that Eddie agreed to marry him so quickly. Yeah. I kind of wondered at her not really having much, at least much on the page about her worrying about what might happen maybe she was just relieved like oh thank goodness it's not going to be this level of bad it's going to be this other different type of bad but that bad i understand so it's fine i don't know yeah well let's rate them um how do you rate eddie i rated eddie as awesome i admired her her perseverance and all that good stuff she's a determined and strong character. I don't know. I liked her. I thought she was cool. I rated Eddie awesome as well. I thought she was really cool. I thought she was really brave um, making that journey all by herself, especially during that time period as a young black woman alone <laughs> is insane levels of risk. And she was brave enough to do it because she wanted to live out her dream and even when she lost all her money twice, she didn't let that kill her dream. Yes. That scene where she gets abandoned in the desert by Nash was a testament to her strength of will. She's like, no, I'm going to keep going until I physically cannot. I liked how empowered she was with Ryan, even though, even though she didn't have any experience with men or any sexual experience whatsoever. She kind of owned her sexuality still. Yeah. I think she, once she decided she was going to go for it, she was all in. She was ready. And I thought that was really awesome too. And and brave. That part was brave too. Um, and I liked that she put him in his place all the time and kept telling him to leave her alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. How did you rate Ryan? I rated Ryan awesome. Because although I feel like he he was awesome in a lot of ways, but there are certain things where I just felt like, D 
dude, seriously? Like the openly flirting in public and things like that. I'm like, you you do know what what a problem that is for her, right? How that could potentially be very bad for her. And just not sort of appreciating the power imbalance that exists. Even though I, I know he's at least somewhat aware, given his background. I mean, given the fact that he knows if he didn't pass as white, he would be treated worse than he is now. You would think that he would be at least a little bit aware. Yeah. Of- but, you know, just like the and and I understand like the romanceness of it. But yeah, just that willingness to possibly endanger her, you know, for for his own reasons. I didn't I didn't like that of him. I rated him awkward. Okay. Ryan is a pretty standard romance hero in a lot of ways. He's hot and rich Mm. and amazing Mm -hmm. and good at everything. He has some interesting stuff, you know, like his his backstory. I wish that we got a little bit more character development around that. I think that most of the character development in the story centered on Eddie. Mm -hmm. Ryan seemed to have his life together and have a plan he's mapped out where he's gonna go and what he's gonna do with his life and then all of a sudden eddie shows up and he's like oh well maybe i'll do this other thing instead but like i said earlier he's basically batman so he has contingency plans for his contingency plans and essentially isn't hurt nearly as badly as he could have been All of that is very romance hero-esque and I mean, I guess potentially cool, but whatever. I am kind of over it. I wanted some more of the interesting stuff. Like, I wanted him to feel some conflict about his feelings for Eddie. I mean, he keeps talking about it, like he's gonna leave it alone or let it die or whatever, but he actively does the opposite. He doesn't even try to let it go away. (laughs) He's constantly pursuing her even when he shouldn't like you pointed out and even when she says leave me alone yeah yeah and he kind of justifies it to himself like well if she knew the truth she would feel differently okay but she doesn't though yeah she doesn't know the truth and we don't get a feeling at least i didn't that he had much insight about that that he didn't put himself in her shoes really at all or think about the impact of his actions lots of heroes don't but it just seemed like he should have done a better job of that well it seemed particularly egregious in this story because of the insane complications that could happen yeah the level of risk to eddie I think would be too high for many heroes. Yeah. (laughs) But for Ryan, he doesn't even think about it at all. He didn't seem to. And it was a little frustrating because he doesn't think about that, but he thinks about all the other things. If he can make plans for his plans, why can't he think about this too? This important thing over here. You know, the woman you love, (laughs) I guess. He has an unfortunate blind spot there. Yeah, it's like he just... Or something. His brain turns into rubber whenever he's around her and he just like spits out flirty dopey things at her the whole time. It's like, okay. I mean, and and that's the kind of thing that in a lot of books I would say, oh, that was really cute. I like that he was falling all over himself and got all stupid around her. But in this book, he couldn't afford to. Yeah. 
the stakes. He either disregarded or lost sight of the stakes, it seemed. Yes. And you're right. He does have a lot of awesome awesomeness. I like how much he advocated for the black community. I liked that he used his privilege to make things better in the ways that he could. I liked that he had political aspirations and all that. And honestly, I liked that when he gave it up and let everyone know the truth, he was accepted in the community. Yeah. They all understood. They were all like, yeah, if we could pass, we would do. Like, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. He wasn't ostracized, which was good. I think ultimately, I just wanted a hero who is more cognizant of what the heroine needed. And I don't know that he was. Especially for such an intellectual hero. What about the villains? Well, I put society. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or at least a large portion of the society. Let's face it, white society. And... I felt for the most part were effective. The fiance, I put definitely in the villain, specific villain category, because tried to kill the heroine. Not cool. I felt like she was mostly effective. I guess I'm curious. I'm more curious about her household. I mean, I realize like she's 20. So adult, but still kid. And I mean... Some of the things she was saying and how her parents were all, oh my gosh, I can't believe that she's saying that. And I kind of wonder, like, is that just a more adult version of the little kid that repeats the things that they hear (laughs) around the house? Yeah. Outside of the house where you're just like, oh, (laughs) whoops. So it just made me wonder. Yeah, no, I I agree about that because it was kind of interesting how Lyman immediately, once Ryan let everyone know the truth, was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to respect you anymore. I'm not going to treat you like a (laughs) fellow human anymore. Yeah, which, (laughs) which I mean, given that they're part of the same political party and all of that, which points out the division within that political party. At that time. But yeah, that's where it was just like, oh no, it wasn't the parents. I'm like, are we sure? I I think the mom was maybe a bit more progressive, honestly. The things on the page about her seemed to lean in that way. You know, she seemed a lot more upset about the whole situation. And she didn't seem as mad at Ryan about having lied or whatever Well, it could have been that she had more abolitionist leanings, or it could be that just trying to smooth everything over, you know? Oh, yeah, there's that too. She's trying to make everything, everything socially acceptable again. Exactly. Let's hush the gossip, hush the everything's fine. (laughs) Everything's fine. It's all forgiven. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm giving her too much credit. just speculating. (laughs) So for me, I put society, of course, the time period, the social issues, the race relations of the time. It was Mm -hmm. a pretty turbulent time in history. Structures within the society, all that good stuff. Yeah, and I mean, it was pretty effective. It was the main stumbling block in their relationship. Mm -hmm. I also put Natalie. I didn't put her as effective. Really, she was just kind of annoying. I feel like we didn't get we didn't get enough for the way she acted to seem real to me. 
even initially when she's kind of whiny and pouty with Ryan, I was like, okay, I don't understand. Like, I mean, you even brought up like, did he not meet her before <laughs> they got engaged or, you know? Yeah. yeah, it seemed weird. And then for her to just completely lose it at the party and go on a murderous rampage was just okay. Yeah. I get, I mean, it didn't, it didn't seem impossible, but I also didn't get it. There wasn't as much of a ramping up or uh, showing her, like, containing her. I, I realize this is probably a very bad way to put it, and I apologize. I just, I can't think of a better way, and it's late. But, like, contain her crazy. <laughs> In the beginning, like, better contained, and then as the story progresses, she seems more and more unhinged. Yeah, like a tea kettle heating up, and then eventually blowing the steam yep. out. Yeah, I would have liked I would have liked more of that. I think that would have made her more effective as an antagonist, honestly, because it would have felt more genuine, it would have felt more realistic. And it would have made more sense why Ryan was with her in the beginning. Yeah. And I think that her refusal to believe they even actually broke up in the first place just seemed odd too. She had some major pride issue, but we don't really know anything about it or hear anything about it. It so it just kind of hits you like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, then. You know, again, it makes me wonder what the dynamic in the home is, where she felt like there was this much pressure for her to catch this fish, so to speak, yeah. that if she doesn't catch this fish, yikes and consequences for her or something. Uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, that's the problem. Like, we don't know. There's nothing on the page about it. So mm. yeah, it would have made more sense. I'm not saying it would have been excusable. Because again, understanding is not approval. I, I would have liked to have more insight into her behavior, for sure. I also put Nash. Yeah. Obviously, he left her to die in the middle of the desert <laughs> and then later assaulted her at the brothel. So yeah, he's he's pretty awful. I feel he was pretty effective, and sadly, I felt he was believable. Yeah. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> I also put Corrine, uh, Eddie's younger sister. Yeah. I think she was less effective than she could have been. We get, like, a hint of how awful she is at the beginning of the story, and then... We get hit with a big one-two punch at the end. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, why? I'm ill prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, it was not a pleasant surprise. I felt it was believable, but I think that maybe we needed some hints of it at the beginning. But then again, if we had hints of it in the beginning, would Eddie have left? I don't know. Because she feels really protective of her nieces. Yeah, or would we have allowed her to leave without that informing our yeah. our judgment of her? Because how could she leave if she knew something like that was going on or... Yeah, it was not good. I also put Carson and Sally Ann, his wife. They were the prior owners of Rhine and Carson was his sperm donor. Mm. We had a bit of a prologue at the beginning where Ryan meets up with Sally Ann again and has kind of a, I don't know, terse conversation with her. But we definitely get the impression they're not nice people. And I mean, they own slaves. Yeah. So there you go. That's the kind of people they were. 
They weren't super present in the story, although I think that they definitely impacted mm-hmm. Ryan and in that way were effective. And I also put Zeke, although Zeke is a good, like, he seems like a good person. Um, he also was an antagonist. I mean, primarily for Ryan because he was a way for Ryan to be jealous and maybe ramp up his pursuit of Eddie. <laughs> I think he was effective. I think I was just kind of disappointed because I want more about him. Maybe he'll show up in another book or something. Maybe he's the hero of another book. Because the author didn't do him wrong, we leave the story. He's still a good guy. You know, he's just not friendly with them. And I don't blame him. So there you go. And then, of course, I mean, this is kind of back to society again, but the racist townspeople. Yes. All the people that come out of the woodwork and had to have their say about Ryan. And I think they're motivated pure, like in a lot of ways, they're they're upset they were fooled. Yeah. I think that that was a primary motivation for a lot of those townspeople to be acting out against him because, ah, you tricked me. I thought you were one of us and it turns out you weren't. And that makes me mad. I think it was fine, but I think it could have been more effective, honestly, because, again, Ryan didn't really experience much fallout. Yeah. Really. I mean, (laughs) it could have been a lot worse. A lot worse. Like I said before, you don't want horrible. (laughs) Ugh. Yeah, I I don't. I don't know how to satisfy that. He's still pretty protected because he has his brother looking out for him. He's got the sheriff on his side. He has the bank manager, presumably, on his side. He's got some prominent white folks in town that are still cool with him. Yeah, Maybe not as cool as before, but still fine. But I think it would have been hard to write more of that into the story and have it still be a happy ending, yeah. though. So, yeah. So that's my list. It's quite the list. Yay. <laughs> How did you rate the book? Well, overall, I enjoyed the book. I give it a four. What about you? I rated it a three, primarily due to the lack of immersion for me. I thought it was an interesting story and well-developed and everything. I think it's just like the writing style isn't my fave. That's fair. But yeah, it was good. I might read the next one because I want to know. Well, it seems like there's multiple series, right? If... Yeah, she's got multiple series. Let me see. Uh, the next one is completely different people. The following one is also completely different people. I want a book about Zeke. <laughs> I want to know more about him. He was interesting. Beverly Jenkins, if you're listening, and you probably aren't, <laughs> but if you are, I suggest you write a story about Zeke if you haven't already. Yeah, maybe it's being edited right now. We don't know. <laughs> well, did you feel romanced? Yeah, not really. Like I said, when we were talking about it earlier, I was surprised they were in love. Yeah. I was like, are you in love with him now? Uh, why? And then him, I felt for sure he was in lust, but he doesn't even know her and he thinks he's in love with her. It was, I don't know. Okay, I guess. <laughs> what about you? Were you romanced? No, but that's kind of normal for me. well it's starting to be normal for me and i don't like it (laughs) i'm sorry hopefully with the next one you'll feel romance i hope so 
What else have you been reading? I read it a bit ago, but it's recentish. It's Confessions of a Prairie Bitch by Alison Arnold. Okay. I like that title. Yeah. For for those who are familiar with Alison's work, um, she is most famously known for playing Nellie Olson on Little House on the Prairie. I was going to say The Prairie Show. <laughs> yeah, Little House, which I guess is internationally famous. I don't know if you oh, ever watched okay. any of that as a kid. I remember it uh, when getting I was little, I think. put on and being like, yeah, I'm just not into this, but okay, thank you. At any rate, so she talks about her, her life in the spotlight and how, I guess, Nellie Olson is uh, quite the antagonist in the show. Yeah, she is in the books, too. Yeah, so <laughs> she talks about, I felt so bad for her. I guess people have a hard time distinguishing between the character that she played and her as a person. <laughs> and so poor Allison got a lot of shit for playing Nellie, <laughs> who Allison actually had, she loved the character of Nellie and she goes into her reasons why. It's a really good book. Like Allison's attitude throughout her life is inspiring. I will warn anyone who's considering reading the book. I mean, it's an amazing book. I highly recommend it. You should freaking read it. You will love it. I'm content warning because she talks about her own abuse story. Oh, okay. And so that can be very difficult. It can be very triggering, depending on the reader. Kind of on that note, she also talks about, which I didn't know this was a thing. Apparently, California had a rape incest loophole in their rape law. And what? Yeah, Allison worked with an organization to get that removed because what the actual fuck wow she for for her reasons she's very very passionate about getting that removed and i will let her tell it because that's her story to tell but yeah it's just it's as disturbing as it sounds you know three three words you there's just no fucking reason that they should ever be put together okay which which sick fucker thought it up what other sick fuckers were like, yeah, let's turn this into a law? Because, <laughs> I mean, it didn't just get there on accident. It was some sick fuckers, like you said. <laughs> I mean, we got a lot of those in power, unfortunately. But anyway, yeah, I don't get to be disturbed by that idea alone anymore. You're welcome. Thank you. Anyway, I'm sure you're reading something that's like way more fun. Unsurprisingly, it's a sci-fi romance. This one is called Smart Girls Don't Kiss Aliens by Alina Jacobs. It's the first in a series and it's a rom-com in addition to being a sci-fi romance. Okay. And I'm kind of hit or miss with rom-coms, but the hook of this one snagged me and it made me just really enjoy it. So the book starts with a familiar premise, a bunch of women are kidnapped by aliens and stranded on a primitive planet with hunky primitive aliens who want to mate and have babies, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty standard fare. However, these women are rocket scientists <laughs> and fix the ship that stranded them and fly the fuck home. Yay! 
Good job, them. Unfortunately, they had some stowaways. What? (laughs) And now they have to figure out how to handle that. (laughs) It's a pretty fun story. It's light, but it does have some... It does have a bit of of deepness, especially when the alien guys realize they're stranded. Will they even be able to get back home? Can they even trust these people? They're stuck in a more advanced world that they don't know how it works. They seem to excel still, though, like at the primitive side of things, you know, in the middle of nowhere hunting and whatnot. But when they split the guys up, between the women and because they all live in apartments so they're like okay well you take that one and i'll take this one and we'll each babysit one (laughs) so she she gets the one that she's babysitting and he's pretty sure that they're meant to be mates obviously Mm -hmm. and the cover is is funny because it's a horned kind of teal blue guy but in the book they pass fairly well as humans, if you don't look too close. Oh. As long as they wear hats and hide their tails around their leg. So I don't think they're probably blue. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> it's a really cute story. And I read the second one, too. It is also really cute. I don't think the third one is out yet. It's still a pretty new series. Okay. That's it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for our show notes, other episodes, and upcoming reads. Don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. Or (laughs) come find us on Twitter. Yeah, we're still there for now. (laughs) Um, At RomanceMeCast. Speaking of Twitter still, were you romanced by Ryan and Eddie's story? Let us know what you think. And of course, join us next time when we discuss Bows and Arrows by Ava Dublin. And that will be our uh, Valentine's Day episode. It's exciting. Bye. Bye. (laughs) My brain was functioning quite buckeredly. Yeah, no, I need to go to bed. I can't stay up at night. I have to get up at six. Are we pattering? We need to patter. I don't know what to patter about. Probably not my bedtime. <laughs>